If you would, open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 16, 17, and 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in fact teaching us the nature of those who belong to the kingdom of God. And at the beginning with the Beatitudes and throughout the sermon, we find that we are to be, in a word, different. If we begin with the Beatitudes, we find that in a world that seeks to be rich, we are to acknowledge our poverty. In a world that seeks to avoid sadness of any kind, we are to mourn over our sinfulness. In a world that seeks to be self-assertive, we are to be meek. In a world that lacks mercy, we are to be merciful. And on it goes. In Matthew 6, in the first 18 verses, Jesus tells us that we are to be different in our piety, our acts of righteousness. So if you look at verses 2, 5, 7, 8, and 16, we hear essentially what is stated in verse 8, do not be like them, that is the Pharisees or the pagans. To teach this truth that we are different, Jesus deals with these three areas that were familiar to the Jews, giving to those in need, praying, and fasting. And what Jesus does is he tells us how we are to do these things and how we are not to do these things. We've looked at the first two, giving to those in need. We've spent quite a bit of time on praying. But what we see in all three is that the, the most important issue or the question to be answered is, who is your audience? When you give to those in need, when you pray, when you fast, why are you doing this and, and for whom are you doing this? Jesus gives us three possibilities in the first section. Either we do it for others, and this is the chosen audience of the hypocrites. They want to be seen by other people. Um, If, in fact, that's your audience, then you've received your reward right then and there. The second audience that we often ignore is ourselves. That is, we may not make a big deal of what we're doing, giving to those in need, uh, or praying, or fasting, But then we sort of congratulate ourselves within ourselves that look at me, look at what I've done. We have a spirit of self-congratulation. The third audience, and this is why or for whom we do these things, is our Father in Heaven. He is the proper audience. He knows all that we do. He keeps track of all that is done. It is for Him that we are to give to those in need, we are to pray, and we are to fast. It is interesting that we are told the same things about fasting that we are in terms of giving to those in need and praying. But as one author has mentioned, here is a passage of scripture which is commonly ignored. I suspect that some of us live our Christian lives as if these verses had been torn out of our Bibles. What we need to do today is to ask ourselves, what is our position on fasting? What does the Bible tell us about fasting? you will notice that Jesus assumes that his listeners are in fact going to fast. In verse 16, when you fast. Verse 17, but when you fast. It's not if you fast, 
but when you fast. Just as Jesus said about the two acts of uh, giving, uh, of piety, giving to those in need, when you give to the needy, and then about prayer in verses 5, 6, and 7, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. So Jesus assumes that his people, his followers are doing this. What he wants them to do is to do it the right way. It is worth noting, if you continue in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus will defend his disciples for not fasting. Uh, Other Jews are saying, hey, we fast, the Pharisees fast, the disciples of John the Baptist fast, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus defends them against this. What I hope to do today is, first of all, look at a biblical view of fasting, give an overview of it in scripture, give the various reasons for fasting, and then look at our passage in the light of what we see about fasting. First of all, I believe that the biblical view on fasting is that it is voluntary. And this, I think, is critical. In our passage, Jesus assumes that his followers will, from time to time, choose to fast. And we'll come to this in a minute, but it is, in fact, a voluntary act. Jesus does not say that they are to fast. He says, when you do it, then this is how you're to do it. They are to do it with a proper audience in mind. So what does the Bible say about fasting? I think if this is the only thing you hear today, I want you to remember this. There is only one commandment in Scripture about fasting. There is only one place, and it's in the Old Testament, in which the people of God were told to fast. It was on the Day of Atonement. One day a year, there would be a sacrifice in which the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. Only once a year, this would happen. And on that day, the people were to fast. So, in Leviticus 16, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then the Lord Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. You may say, well, Damon, I didn't hear the word fast in there anyway. Anywhere. It is interesting that the NIV does not use the word fast. It uses the phrase deny yourself. And the ESV has afflict yourself. Um, But the sense is that this is the one day in the year that God's people were commanded to not eat, that they were to fast. It was the Day of Atonement. Um, It is worth noting that prior to this commandment found in Leviticus 16, we have no record. Look at Genesis, Exodus. No record of God's people ever fasting. And when fasting comes on the scene, it is one day a year. In the historical writings, we have numerous references to people fasting, however, um, and not just on the Day of Atonement. In fact, we have no record of them fasting on that particular day. The reasons for their fasting we will see in a bit, um, but they, in fact, did fast. In the prophets, there are three types of references with regard to fasting. Um, The first is similar to what we find in the historical writings, where people turn to God in times of need and they plead to him and they fast. They fast and they pray. Um, In Daniel, we see this a number of times. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting 
and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And then later in the book of Daniel, at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And then we have that marvelous passage in Jonah where Jonah says 40 days and God is going to destroy this city of Nineveh. And we read, they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. That is, they did not eat in repentance. The second type of reference uh, comes up in Zechariah chapter 7. And here we now find that fasting has been institutionalized. God only commands them to fast one day a year but now they have other days that they fast and it's sort of you must fast on these days. What happens is that the Jews come to the priests and to the prophets of the Lord and they say, should we continue to fast in the fifth month in memory of the temple being destroyed? Seventy years earlier, the temple had been destroyed. So one day a year they would fast to remember the destruction of the temple. And... They would also fast in the seventh month because that's when Gedaliah, the man who was in charge of Israel later on, had been assassinated. So God says fast once a year, but then they've added these other two. And so they asked the priests and the prophets, should we keep doing this? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? What the Lord wants, he says, is administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts do not think evil of each other. The third type of reference in the prophets is about the wrong kind of fasting. That somehow people thought, ooh, if I fast, then I'm a good person and God will give me whatever it is that I want. And at least in the prophets' writings, for the most part, fasting is viewed negatively. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry, says God. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. So they think, look, we're good people. God's going to bless us. And God says, absolutely not. That's from Jeremiah and Isaiah. uh, Let me read you a lengthy passage. It's, It's a wonderful passage. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion into the house of Jacob, their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords and the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see them naked, to clothe him and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Fasting had become a way to manipulate God, at least in the view of his people, that if we fast, God will do things for us. He will bless us. And God says, really? This this is why you're doing this? You're fasting, but you're exploiting your workers? At the end of the fast, you end up having fisticuffs, breaking out in fights? No, this is not what God calls a good fast. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were best known for their fasting. Um, In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector when they go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee says, I pray, uh, I pray and I fast twice a week. The, co- the custom of the Pharisees was to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. These were the two days of fasting. By the way, we now know historically these were also market days. So that's when you have the most people in town. So you have a really good audience that when you fast on Monday and Thursday and you afflict yourself, you mess your hair up and you look somber and everything, people, oh, what a holy man, he's fasting today. In the New Testament, after the Gospels, there are three references in the book of Acts to fasting. Uh, Paul, after his experience on the road to Damascus, and then two have to do with the church setting aside leadership, that the church prayed and fasted and then they appointed leaders. Fasting is not mentioned once in the epistles. It is not mentioned at all in the epistles. So we need to ask, if God commanded one fast a year, one day of fasting a year, why did people in the Bible fast? Well, first of all, it was to indicate... um, well, it was to indicate that they were confessing their sins before God. It was an act of, uh, of humbling themselves before God to say, we have done wrong. Let me read to you from 1 Samuel 7. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, this is the nation of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. They were under the Philistines at this time. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths, their false gods, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They didn't drink it. They poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. So it is done in connection with confession. That they, remember Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn. Well, in the Old Testament, they not only mourned over the sins, they fasted. They denied themselves, in the words of the NIV, and confessed their sins to God. In Nehemiah, and this is after they come back from the exile, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. We read this also in Daniel. 
So the first reason that people fasted was to confess their sins. The second reason was when they had a particular need, a special need, and they laid it before God. Here in the book of Judges, we find that they need direction. The 11 tribes have gathered against one tribe, Benjamin. It's the smallest tribe, and yet in two battles, Benjamin has won. Logistically, that just doesn't seem possible. Okay. Then the Israelites, all the people, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. They asked, shall we go up again to battle with Benjamin, our brother, or not? The Lord responded, go for tomorrow, I will give them into your hands. The first two times they had gone up self-confidently, and after being defeated twice, they now fast before God and say, what should we do? Should we go up or should we just go home? And God says, go up and you will win. And they did. We also have a special petition for safety. Uh, This is after uh, the exile when the Jews are leaving Babylonia and are coming back to Jerusalem. It's sort of a scary journey. There are bandits. there There are enemies along the way. There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast. This is Ezra speaking. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all our possessions. Ezra goes on to say, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against those who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. In terms of a special need, we have a third case and that is for success. You have a project and you want, to come, you want it to come out well, you want it to come out the way that you hope it will. An example of this is in Esther, where a, a proclamation has gone out that all Jews are to be wiped out. It's going to be uh, genocide. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king and even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I've hesitated to mention this last example from Esther for two reasons. First of all, prayer is not mentioned at all. And as we'll see in a minute, fasting is always done in conjunction with prayer, or it's supposed to be done. In fact, in the whole book of Esther, prayer is not mentioned at all. Um, But secondly, it might feed our notion that if I want something and I haven't gotten it yet, if I fast, then I'll get it. And that's not what's being said at all. You might imagine that somehow if you fast, that God will have to give you what you ask for. It's a way to force his hand if you wish. But no. We pray to God. And if you remember, prayer is part of a conversation. A conversation which God began. It doesn't begin with us. If we think it begins with us, then we're just trying to manipulate him to get what we want. in the words of Bob Dylan, you think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. You know, this is my, my shopping list, my prayer list, and this is what I want. And, oh, I didn't get this? Okay, I'm going to fast. And if I fast, then God will give me what I want. That's not the way it works. 
The third reason, though, that we are to fast, or that is mentioned, I mentioned, or I read it earlier from Isaiah 58, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the wanderer with shelter, to clothe him, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? One thing, though, I want to make clear to you as we go through this is that no matter your reason for fasting, it always involved, it is to involve prayer. If we seek direction from God, if we are confessing our sins, if we want a successful result, we are to pray. By the way, we probably should have handled this at the beginning, but what does it mean to fast? In simplest terms, it means to go or to miss a meal for a specific reason. The English word breakfast means to break the fast between dinner. You haven't eaten all night and you're breaking the fast at the beginning of the morning, at the beginning of the day. It is to miss a meal, but it may mean more than that. It might be several meals. Um, Remember, fasting is voluntary. And as such, the person fasting is the one who sets the parameters. I cannot give you a rule book of how you're supposed to fast um, or for how long you're supposed to fast. It is something that you do if you say, I'm not going to eat lunch today or I'm not going to eat dinner tonight. But instead of eating lunch and instead of eating dinner, I'm going to pray. If you're a fast eater and your meal's 30 minutes, then I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer. It takes longer. If you eat slower, then it's going to take an hour. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer. And it might, in fact, be longer than that if you prepare your food. The time you would have spent in food preparation, that's no longer necessary because you're not going to eat. You spend that time in prayer as well. But you are the one who decides um, how long and for what reason, in fact, you are praying. The only thing that is required, I'm convinced, is that prayer be involved. I don't know about you, have you ever gone through a day and missed a meal? That's not biblical fasting. You know, either you got busy or something happened and you missed the meal. Biblical fasting is when for a specific reason you do not eat and perhaps even drink so that you could spend time in prayer. Some people ask me, um, when I'm fasting, Damon, can I drink water or can I drink fruit juices? Um, should it be from, from dawn to dusk? Uh, what should be the time limits of fasting? Um, you set the parameters yourself. Okay? But if you're going to fast, then there are three things at least you need to do. First of all, decide or determine, why are you fasting? Why are you fasting? Um, and again, without being harsh, oftentimes people do it to get something from God. And that's not why we fast. It is to spend time in prayer. But remember that confession is also an aspect of fasting that we see in the Old Testament. Second of all, determine the parameters of your fast. How long will it be? Uh, from what will you abstain? Will you allow yourself to drink water or fruit juice or other things? Is it only from certain foods that you are abstaining. And then finally, establish the time that you are going to spend in prayer. So I said, to fast without praying is not biblical fasting. Um, Has it ever happened to you 
some crushing event, some tragedy or something, and you absolutely lose your appetite. You couldn't eat if people put your favorite food in front of you because you're so overwhelmed with grief. That's not biblical fasting. That is, I think, very much an emotional response. I would suggest if that happens, that the time be spent in prayer to say, Father, this this horrible thing has happened. I've lost my appetite. I can't eat. I instead will spend this time in prayer. Sorrow or loss or tragedy can so stagger you so that you cannot eat. Somebody may have to come to you and say, listen, you need to get something in yourself, in your body, in your stomach, because you're, you're, you're going to get weak. Um, in the same way that when people weep a lot, you encourage them to drink water, to hydrate, because otherwise you're just going to dehydrate. But understand that biblical fasting involves prayer. In some of the passages that I read, people wept because of the terrible things that had happened. Either they had been under the Philistines for 20 years or they lost two battles to the Benjamites. But in both situations, they fasted and they prayed. Let's be honest. Prayer may be the last thing you want to do. Particularly if you wonder, why did God let this happen? But who better to speak to than your Father in Heaven? When all seems lost and a great darkness comes over us, when we've experienced great loss, who better to talk to than our Father who loves us? I've defined fasting as abstaining from food. But in the NIV, you may remember it says deny yourselves. I think that fasting is not only from food. It doesn't only have to be from food. Um, fasting is abstaining from things that are necessary for life. You'll remember from the passage in Leviticus, not only were the Jews to fast on the Day of Atonement, they were not to work on the Day of Atonement. So abstain from food, abstain from work. Abstaining from work is a form of fasting. And what I read from Daniel, for three weeks... He abstained from choice food, from meat, from wine, and from lotions. I would say skin lotions. Well, I don't normally think of skin lotions and fasting, but for three weeks he did not put anything on himself. He didn't have his favorite foods, choice food, wine, or meat. I mentioned earlier that fasting is not mentioned anywhere in the epistles. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about marital relations and obligations. And he says, in fact, a husband and wife, and this is my language for Paul, a husband and a wife may in fact choose to fast from sexual relations. They may say for a period of time we are not going to sleep together, and instead of sleeping together, they're going to spend the time in prayer. See, fasting is, I'm not going to do this that I normally do. Instead, I'm going to pray. And Paul tells them that they can do this, but they have to determine how long this is going to go on because Paul says, you don't want to open yourself to temptation, but you are to spend this time in prayer. It is appropriate for us to abstain from certain things. I would say from things that are favorites of ours or in modern language, even comfort food 
that will say, for this period of time, I'm going to abstain from these things and spend the time in prayer. Having said all this, what Jesus is talking about here is he is concerned that his followers not be like the Pharisees. Fasting is a very private and individual thing. It is between the individual and God. And interestingly enough, our faith is to be communal. We are the body of Christ. And there may be times as a congregation we may call for a fast. We've done that before. But generally speaking, this is something between the individual and God. Others are not to be involved. They are not to know. Without being rude, it's none of their business. This is something between me and God. That there is something that is troubling me or something I wish to confess and I will spend this time in prayer rather than eating. The Pharisees had made fasting a very public issue. Uh, If you look in verse number 16, there's actually a play on words. They make themselves unrecognizable to be recognized by others. (laughs) You know, it has been suggested that they put powder on their faces and had their hair all messed up and walked around very somber so people would know, in fact, that they were fasting. One translation has it, they render themselves invisible to be seen by others. (laughs) It's really ironic. They want other people to see when in fact is a matter between them and God. Jesus tells us, act normal. Wash your face, fix your hair, so that no one else will have a clue that in fact you are fasting before God. Only your Father will know, because this is a matter between you and your Father. In contrast to the Pharisees, who look somber, who disfigure their faces, to show men that they are fasting, This is a matter between us and God. As Jesus teaches us the nature of his followers, how his followers are to live, he deals with three acts of piety that were familiar to the Jews, giving to those in need, praying, and fasting. And for each of these, Jesus tells us, our audience is to be our Father. He is the audience of one. This is the one that we care about. We don't care what other people think. They're not supposed to know what we're doing. They're not supposed to know if we're giving to those in need. They're not supposed to know when we are praying. They're not supposed to know when we're fasting. We do this for God. But what do we know about God? Who is God? Well, we are told in the Lord's Prayer that He is the one who allows us to call Him Father. He is the one whose name is hallowed or holy. He has brought us into his kingdom and by his grace he has saved us. He daily provides what we need, our daily bread and so much more than that. He has forgiven us. Without his grace we would not be able to continue. We would not be able to escape the evil one. And he is the one who has the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Yeah, this is a good person. This is, a, this is the audience. God, our Father in heaven. So when we give to those in need, only God needs to know about this. When we pray, it is between us and God. And when we fast, it's the same thing. For whatever reason that we fast, it's between us and God. We don't do it for others. We're not to do it for others. We're not to be seen by others. It is our Father in heaven who loves us dearly.
He is our audience. If you can imagine a child almost seeking to entertain his father or mother, her father or mother, we're not seeking to entertain God, but this is for our father. We are doing what we are doing for our father. Jesus tells us this is how you do it, not like the Pharisees, but do it for your father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, the notion that we would have to do without something, almost in today's secular word, sounds sacrilegious. Food is important. It is necessary. It's what sustains us. But as Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, man does not live on bread alone. There are times when perhaps we need to tell ourselves, I need to abstain from certain things and spend time alone with my Father. Father who loves me, who is gracious to me, who provides all that I need and more. In times of darkness and disaster, tragedy and loss, he is the one to whom we can cry out. In times of sickness and pain, he is the one to whom we are to cry out. You, our Father, how easily we forget this. How easily we imagine that you forget us. Because we wonder, how could you let these things happen to us? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always remembering us and caring for us. I thank you that you set aside the first day of the week, the beginning of the week, for us, if we have forgotten, to be reminded of you and to remember you. To remember all that you have done in eating and drinking, to remember what Jesus has done for us. In our singing, to be reminded of who you are. We bow before you in humility and thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for bringing us together today. We pray for safety. Hear the rain outside as we go home. We thank you for the rain and we, we need it. We pray for safety though in the midst of it. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.